Welcome to Northern Gold, the football podcast from the Evening Express Impressing Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, and joining me today are Paul Third, Sophie Goodwin, and Andy Skinner. How are we, people? Good, thanks. All good, thanks, Ryan. Good, thank you. Yes. Um, the the week that has just passed has been another another busy one, as I suppose as they always are. In December, we had Aberdeen's sort of late win at St Johnston at the weekend. We had Ross County. I think I don't know. I don't know how we feel about Ross County's week. I think we probably think it was good and bad, given how last night against Celtic unfolded in Dingwall, um, Inverness, a thumping win against Morton over the weekend, and I mean revenge for the Port Cabin situation we discussed last week, perhaps, and then Cope Peterhead and Elgin as well. All in action, um, varying degrees of success, so we'll get on to that later in the show. But yes, first of all, let's talk about Aberdeen at the weekend. Teddy Jenks, um, I think he sort of he juggled the ball a little bit before he, <laughs> before he put it in the net, but the officials, as tends to be the case in Scottish football, didn't notice that part. And I mean, maybe it's a bit of luck Aberdeen are due. These, we're told these things even up over the course of the season, but Jenks is... Goal, to be fair, it was a good finish from near the edge of the box, but um, th- that proved to be enough in, in Perth. Uh, what what do we make of Teddy Jenks' 30 at this point? Uh, it's funny, because I, I tie Teddy Jenks into the Matty Longstaff situation, given that's the two lone lads at, at Petaudry. Uh, Teddy Jenks is doing at the minute what we all thought Matty Longstaff needed to do. He's making an impression. Um, and he certainly did that on Saturday. He had a, if you go back last week, he had an impressive cameo from the bench in the 4 1 win against St. Mirren, followed by that winner at Perth at the weekend. Uh, and that's two goals for the season for him now. Uh, and that shows to me it's a guy who's trying to catch his manager's eye, show him he should be here in the second half of the season. Uh, Jenks is one with decisions going to be getting made shortly, who I'd be interested to see kept. For the second half of the campaign, uh, I would hope that he's not recalled by his parent club because I'm interested to see how he would actually get on if he's given a, a regular run in the team. He's uh, there's something about him. That's what I would say. And and to come back to the long staff one, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago with January coming up. I, I I think it's become clear that his time at the club's at an end. I don't think that's a controversial statement. He's he was an unused sub in the 2-1 loss at Celtic at the end of November, and he's not made a match day squad since, not even on the bench. So I'd be amazed if uh, Newcastle are not looking to recall him and try him with a, another club somewhere else, because Petordi just hasn't worked out for him. Jenks, though, the early part of his loan spell, I think was possibly, it's always difficult because all these players, you know, sometimes they only get a few opportunities at the start to show what they can do. I think the problem that Jenks had was obviously, I think it was against St Mirren, correct me if I'm wrong, when he was away from off. home, when he was sent off. And I think he was having a pretty good game before that. Mm-hmm. And then because he got, I think it was two quick bookings and, you know, the, the, I think the team then went on to lose the game. The, yeah, it, the, it kind of 2-1 up when it happened and then it all, <laughs> it all unraveled soon thereafter. But you know, Jenks is, what, what I like about Jenks is you, you go and you look at Scott Brown, you look at Lewis Ferguson, and Fonso Ojo, I would say they're more defensive types. I know Ferguson's chipped in with goals, but it's more set pieces and penalties. And he he is a box-to-box player, Jenks. I don't know if the other guys play that role, really. And and, and that's why I, I like the idea of him in this team somewhere. I, I'm just not sure how we quite fit that in, given we've now got J. Emmanuel Thomas getting into the side as well, which is a subject probably for another week. But there's options. There's options there in the middle of the park, and Jenks is different from the other guys that Stephen Glass has at his disposal. On the St Johnston game, generally, I thought at times Aberdeen, you know, were I think, you know, as has been the case in games this season going forward, they were maybe pretty unthreatening and limited by St Johnston. The kind of pot shots. There was a moment before Aberdeen scored where Chris Kane had a header off the post for St Johnston, which could have changed the game. But I suppose. We can't ask for much more in December than winning games, getting three points on the board, and that you know keeps the recent positive momentum going. What about the effort at the end, though? When Aberdeen were one 0 up, it was I think it was possibly in stoppage time, but Christian Ramirez almost threatening Joseph Hungbo for a Northern goal goal of the season <laughs> with that that 
uh, swivel volley from out wide. Oh, it was wild. It was wild. I just think if it had gone in, uh, I think we would have had the goal of the season competition sewn up. It, was, it would have certainly been on the shortlist along with Hungbo and I have to say Tom Rogic's goal at, at Tannadice was a good one as well. Um, it speaks vo- volumes about the growing confidence in Ramirez, I guess, that he's taken a shot like a, on in the first place. When's the last time you saw an Aberdeen player try that? It was great technique. There was power behind it. Um, it was a really good effort from my player. I think we've still to see the best of, if I'm being honest. But he is a very good player. As for the game itself, listen, Aberdeen are playing St. Johnston. Hands up, anybody can tell me a last thrilling Dons versus St. Johnston game. Yeah. The League Cup final winning season when the, <laughs> the semi-final at Tynecastle. I've, I've said this before, but this feels like the fixture I've watched more than any other in my 20 years of doing this job. And there's a common theme through the vast majority of them. It's a gritty affair. It's rolling the sleeves up and getting stuck in. Whatever cliche you want to use. And there's nothing else for it when these two teams play. For me, yes, Aberdeen did ride their luck at times on Saturday. And it was probably the first time that this Dons team's really been able to grind out a win like that under Stephen Glass. And I think that augurs well. It's got a, Aberdeen St. Johnson's got a real Scotland-Israel vibe <laughs> to it. Um, obviously, we had the Dons AGM on Monday as well. Dave Cormack beamed in remotely from the States. He wasn't in the Granite City because of, I suppose, various COVID concerns and things like that and the rules around COVID. But I suppose a few decent things to come out of it. I mean, nothing, nothing. I suppose, that was totally unexpected. Maybe Jack McKenzie's new deal, but I, I suppose we, we probably expect at some point Jack McKenzie to be tied down given how impressive he's been at left back this season when he's been fit and available. I think he's back fit and available now, but I suppose the, the comments from Cormac that stood out for me were basically confirming that Ronnie Hernandez, the a player's preference, that he doesn't want to come back to Aberdeen, so you'd imagine there might be moves on, you know, trying to um, offload him permanently in January, probably th- to the MLS if possible. I think so, yeah. I mean, Hernandez, he wants to stay in the state. How, how easy is this to say? He wants to stay in the States. Um, my reading of the, the AGM was if a deal can be done, Aberdeen are going to try and make it happen. Um, Hernandez arrived to great fanfare. We were all very excited by it. It was something completely out of left field, a la Ramirez, to be honest. But it hasn't worked out, um, and there comes a time where you need to take a step back and go, we just need to cut our losses and, and let him go here. Because um, they've paid a hefty sum for a player who still has two years left on his deal. And as the chairman alluded to, he's on decent wages, as you would expect for a guy you've paid close to a, a seven-figure sum for. So if you can get him out, then that's a good move for, for everyone because at this point you're trying to keep him when he's not really going to get in this team. It's just throwing good money after bad. I mean, Dave confirmed that it was it was money out of the Cormac family purse that paid for Hernandez and then converted into shares. So you'd think maybe, I mean, I don't know how these things work really. I'm not enough of a businessman to know, but if they do get a transfer fee for him, maybe that goes straight into Stephen Glass's, um, Stephen Glass's budget and it's Aberdeen in the green. Um, after the whole Hernandez fair is drawn to a close. Anyway, he also talked about, we've already discussed, I suppose, the loan over the last couple of weeks, the, the loan players and what their future might hold. And we've done a little bit of that earlier today. But Calvin Ramsey and Ryan Hedges are all obviously players that are permanently um, contracted to the Dons. Ryan Hedges only for another six months. Like, But Calvin Ramsey, um, big future ahead of him. Um, and Dave was saying um, that looking at the data, he, he thinks that Calvin Ramsey is probably among the elite Sort of top level young right backs in Europe. Would you would you agree with that? Do you think that I know we've had some big Premier League clubs looking at him? Do you, do you think all eyes of the continent are on Ramsey? I think he's a very good prospect. All eyes, I don't know, but I would imagine there's some big clubs in there, uh, and I'm and I'm looking at big clubs in England. Uh, I believe I've been sniffing about Calvin Ramsey, and not just since he broke into the first team. Uh, as we saw from Sean's piece, uh, I think it's today that. The Don's chairman, Dave Cormack, regards Ramsey as a, an excellent prospect. And yes, he's touting him, as, as any guy would. And the window's a way to open. And if, there, if there's big names looking at a, a key player, then say, you, you want that to be known, don't you? If, <laughs> because if if everyone is looking at Calvin Ramsey and thinking, oh, he could do a job for us, then they're going to need to come up with some decent money because other clubs are going to be in there going, well, if, I, if Aberdeen are thinking of selling him for 
X amount. We're going to offer Y. And I, I think that's what Dave Cormack's doing, let's be honest. I think he's looking at a player, hugely talented, big future in the game ahead of him, and thinking, how do I maximise my return here? And obviously get the player a, a move to a club and a, and a platform that I think everyone expects him to be going to in the near future anyway. It's another one of these um, conundrums, isn't it? Um, the same as Scott McKenna previously, and I suppose Lewis Ferguson, who's obviously still at the club, but there's been bids for him before, and it's about is it the right time in the transfer window to sell? Is the money high enough? And you know, because you know, you can end up one of these situations. I think like McKenna, where you you reject a outrageous bid, and then it, you know it comes to the next transfer window, and the stock has fallen slightly. Yeah. So, but it's all about timing. I mean, because you don't. Uh, I mean, you also don't want to harm Aberdeen from a footballing um, perspective if you can possibly help it No, but a significant fund for a, a young player like Calvin Ramsey let's let, let's just go through this theoretically speaking if Aberdeen sell him for a significant sum, I don't know if you want to pick a figure, let's say 7, right? Let's say 7 million Calvin Ramsey goes for in January to a Premier League team in England, that's a lot of money it's a lot of coin for a club like Aberdeen to, to, to work with almost transformational I would think in terms of what you could do with a squad and in, in terms of your football budget for the next three years with that sort of income coming in so I can see why they're looking at him going listen this, this guy this guy could be a <laughs> the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for us and during a Covid time very good very good you um, you wrote a piece on Ryan Hedges didn't you with um, a, a journalist in the know from Lanks Live down a journalist that covers Blackburn Rovers, but he was suggesting, wasn't he, that Hedges, Blackburn are still in the market for a player like Hedges, and I think I think the realists are probably accepting at this point that Ryan Hedges is not going to sign a new Aberdeen deal. Would you be tempted to, I know Blackburn might be looking at pre-contract, that article suggested, but would you be tempted to try and offload him for a fee in January? What's your, what's your view on that sort of balancing act? Because obviously he could be an important player in the second half of the season, but you'd lose him for nothing. <sighs> I I would if 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 he's leaving, I would try to get it done in January, because I've I've not seen an awful lot of players uh, who how do I say this whose forum has been outstanding, and if Graham Shinney's maybe an exception. I think Kenny McLean, but then he actually got his move to Norwich and then came back on loan for the rest of the season. They're the other two guys who I would say performance levels went up once their future had been resolved. The rest just kind of well, it's playing out time and making sure you don't uh, hurt yourself. I guess um, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that. It's just a player being professional and trying to make sure that he's okay for for his his own future. And yeah, Hedges, he's said all along he's keeping his options open, which is we all know <laughs> more often than not is code for I've got something else lined up. Uh, and the jungle drubs are beating loud that Ewood Park in Blackburn is going to be his, his next home. It's not a bold statement to say I think his, his time at Pataudry is, is nearing an end and I do expect Rovers to come in and offer a pre-contract if they haven't done so already. Um, but then it comes down to whether Tony Mowbray, the Blackburn manager, wants him in sooner rather than later. If Rovers continue as a going at the minute, which is riding high up the top of the, the championship, I suspect they might want to try and get a deal done when this window opens, because he's the sort of guy could help them with move up to the, the Premier League, which would be massive for the club and, and the player himself. Yeah, I know. That's that's what exactly what I was going to say, that you know, it's if it's too good to refuse with them in the championship, the, the possibility they could be in the Premier League next season you know, makes that pre-contract, getting your signature on that, like you you know, he probably won't be able to um, contain himself from getting a signature on that piece of paper as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing we've we've kind of covered this week is the fact that Matty Kennedy, the forgotten man, the forgotten winger, is back in training at Aberdeen. And I don't think he's expected to play before the winter break, but following a back injury, he has returned training on the grass. So the world has gone mad. But uh, Michael <laughs> Devlin as well, uh, he has obviously been in a six-month deal under Stephen Glass, having never featured under Stephen Glass to try and prove his fitness following an ankle injury. I think we all accept that Michael Devlin is a, a decent defender when he gets on the pitch, but I think he's only got on the, the pitch 50-odd times in what is close to four years at Aberdeen now as an Aberdeen player. Um, would you be tempted to give him another six months or is it is it quitting time? I, I would let this play out because the guy is 
obviously knocking his pan in to try and get himself back. I mean, it, it says a lot about someone's character that knockback after knockback they've had, and they're still coming back to the coalface to have another go at this. Um, like like Sean Wallace, I've been a big fan of Mikey Devlin. I was tipping him for a future Don's captain, given how good he was when he first arrived from Hamilton Ackies. He was outstanding, genuinely terrific player, until he suffered that injury uh, on Scotland duty. I think it was for when Alex McLeish was in charge at the time, just before the League Cup final. I went to go what November twenty eighteen. That's how long ago that was, and he's that never been. That was the foot injury, yeah. It was like a yeah. tarsal. Yeah. Uh, well, in training, tarsal. Yeah. In training on national team duty, and it, he missed the cup final, and it took him ages to get back. And from there, it's just been like one setback after another, and that does knock your confidence. His contract's up uh, in the next couple of weeks, but he's almost back to full fitness. The Dons are are hoping by the end of January, this will be him finally ready to to return. So I think having gone through all of this, and now he's so close, why risk letting him? Go out the door. I don't think he would have a huge number of options, to be fair, because everyone's looking going, guy's hardly played, as you just mentioned. Was it 50, 50 games or something in his time? So because of that, you're going, to, you're going to be wary. So I think it suits Aberdeen and it would suit Mikey Devlin. Give it the rest of the year. Let's see if he can get back. And if he does, then we can have a proper conversation in May and June. And other clubs might be interested in looking and going, well, he's managed to play 18 games in the second half of the season. Maybe maybe he is back. It would it would suit everyone, I think, just to yeah. play this out to the end of the year. End of the season, as I, sorry. As I said before we started recording, he's also, I think, since 2019-20, of the, the players that have played in defence for Aberdeen, he's got the fourth best um, minutes per goal conceded ratio. It's like 81 minutes or something, which I think um, only Andy Considine currently in the squad is above him and it, it puts him above the likes of McKenna, David Bates, Ash Taylor, players like that who've clearly played a lot more minutes. But yeah, it's just whether Aberdeen can see past the, the fitness issues um, in January and give it another go. The the thing I was going to ask you about Devlin actually, Paul, finally was, would a loan make sense? If they, if they give him a new deal, would a loan make sense in the second half of the season? Do you think, given he's not played in so long, I know you look at Ross County, they've obviously done that. Um, put in Andy, help him out here. What's the player? Out to Elgin City. Tom Gravosti is at Elgin yep. just now, uh, regaining yes. fitness, yeah. Does that alone, sense, alone is a possibility, but then it's Stephen Glass who wants to see him in his team and make a judgment, and he's not been able to do that. How does he do that if he sends him somewhere else? And that's it. It's kind of counterproductive, and I don't know. I, I, I think if... Mikey Devlin is going to continue Aberdeen. It needs to be with Aberdeen in the second half of the season. I don't think I don't, if it's a loan, I would look at that as thinking, well, that's maybe a door closing at Putodji for the player. All right. Well, we better move on from the Dons. They don't play this weekend. They play Hibs next Wednesday, just mere days before Santa comes. But <laughs> and we don't know at this stage whether a Sean Maloney will be in the Hibs dugout. B they'll be the the League Cup. Champions, so we could we, Aberdeen could meet Hibs on a at a low ebb or on a sort of ascendant high, falling silverware success. So we'll just have to wait and see. But yes, a big game, especially in terms of the top six, which Aberdeen are now making a decent inroads into. But yes, next up, Ross County and their heartbreak in midweek against Celtic. Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village. With memberships to suit all ages, Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community. I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. Achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Okay, Andy, um, Ross County now, I think, level at the bottom of the Premiership on points with St Johnston, um, following a week in which they they won a barnstormer against Dundee. That looked a cracking game of the weekend, but then, yeah, last night against Celtic, getting it back to 1-1, Celtic get Starfelt sent off. I think he more than deserved to get sent off for the amount of descent he threw um, for the first yellow and then to make a stupid foul afterwards. But then, 
that sort of last 10 minutes or so, County with a man advantage, they didn't really, to my mind, they weren't really aggressive enough. They almost still allowed Celtic to to you know have it all their own way and ultimately um, with a little bit of extra injury time we must say that perhaps shouldn't have been played Celtic were able to get a, a headed winner yeah um, I mean quite a lot of the injury time came about as a result of Starfelt's uh, descent and uh, kind of you know just uh, he, he claimed that there was an elbow from from Jordan White in a an aerial tussle um, I've seen the, the replay in it it looks fairly innocuous to me, but uh, I mean, he, he certainly was on the ground for for quite some time. But I don't, I don't think it was the length of the <laughs> the six minutes that that was the issue for for Malky Mackay after the game. I think it was more the fact that the the clock ran beyond that and um, you know, kept ticking to allow you know the time for for Celtic to score the winner. It was difficult to criticise the referee too much from my point of view on on that one because I mean there wasn't really a natural break in play in the build up to uh, Ralston's header so you know emotions were were clearly running high after the game but you know it's the worst way to to lose any game and especially when you you see hundreds of Celtic fans running on your 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 own pitch after uh, afterwards to, to celebrate that really rubs your nose in it a wee bit and particularly closed doors the rest of the season that's why I say <laughs> well that would suit County to some extent because they beat Celtic twice behind closed doors last season I meant um, Celtic not County of course, uh, hi. Of <laughs> um, but no it was um, y- yeah I mean County with 10 minutes to go felt that you know there was a real chance opening up for them the game opened right up at that stage uh, County had been really good throughout the second half, and uh, you know, make no mistake about it, when it was eleven versus eleven, their goal had been coming for for quite some time, um, and they'd, they'd recovered from you know a, a pretty slow start in the first half. They um, they hadn't really been able to to get near Celtic um, and 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 threaten them, so. You know, to respond in the way they did, um, you know, they, they grew in belief as the game went on. But yeah, it's just that that crushing blow that they encountered at the at the death. Yeah. So, do you think they could have done anything differently when when Selig went down? Would you would you have maybe, you know, gone all out? Given given, I suppose hindsight's a a wonderful thing, and knowing that they went on to lose the game anyway, and any risk they took, you know, wouldn't have really made a difference unless they'd managed to snatch their own. Winner, but would you have maybe pushed a bit harder, um, pushed a bit higher? I think from from the last ten minutes, um, it, the game did open up quite a lot, and County, you know, did look to hit on the on the counter attack more more often than not. Um, I, th- I think you do have to give Celtic credit as well. To be fair, for digging out the the victory with with ten men in those circumstances, because you know they they showed that that belief and that willingness to to try and put county on the back foot despite that numerical disadvantage um so you know that that was something that county had to had to try and weather but um yeah i mean malky mckay said after the game that the the players enacted everything that was was asked of them uh through the different periods of the of the game they, they started off pressing Celtic high in the first 20 minutes or so um, they then kind of retreated a bit deeper in you know the remaining stages of the the first half and that's where Celtic looked at their most dangerous throughout the the whole 90 minutes uh, and to be fair it was it was actually quite fortuitous that it was only one nil come half time uh, county you know, improved drastically in the in the second half, and some of the substitutions were were actually really bold from from a county point of view as well. I mean, Jordan White came on for Ross Callaghan, um, ha- having already, um, well, county had already brought Dom Samuel on for for Harry Payton before that as well. So, although they didn't start with a recognised striker, they, they they brought two on for for two midfielders and. They they were looking like they were going to get the rewards for that. Um, 
and as I say, in the, in the final 10 minutes or so, when County did manage to, to break on Celtic, they looked very dangerous, but um, I, I think Celtic just showed that that willingness to to offset the the card that they'd been dealt, and um, you know it was it, it just goes down as a a really difficult one for the Staggies to to take. Yeah, and it's funny because last week we were obviously saying that yeah the Dundee games are must win, the Celtic games are bonus, and then they win the Dundee game, and that should be um, according to the the laid out Northern goal requirements that should be happiness. But um, yeah, given how things unfolded, it was a bit different from that. Guys, if I can ask you to all give me an opinion here, Ross County, what does what does the new year hold for Ross County? Are we going to see a steady climb up the division, or are they going to be sort of I don't say mired, but mired in the bottom two the um, the rest of the the campaign? I don't see bottom two for Ross County. I can see seventh or eighth. There you go. Yeah, I mean, from having been, you know, watching them most of the season, uh, I get the feeling that they're they're hitting their stride and they've been building up to this for quite some time. I think, you know, as much as, you know, we look upon last night's game as being a, a real setback for them, I don't think it will knock them too much um, as long as they, uh, well, the, maybe the tiredness and the fatigue from a, a shift like that doesn't play too much of a, a factor going into the Livingston game. But, you know their form. Other than that, has been really good, and you know they're they look like a team that could still hit top gear. Um, and I think there are teams, you know, that are well that they've shown are uh, are are not quite as as strong as them. So no, I I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. I can I can see County going on a, a run that could push them towards the, the top end of that bottom six. Um. Uh, yeah, I think. I can't see them being in the bottom two. I think, like what we've kind of said before, is you know they they do hit this run of form and they pick up points, but then they maybe trail off. But even in those games, probably like the game against Celtic last night, the performance is there. But then also on the flip side, you can only kind of ride the wave of good performances for so long. But I think there is promising signs, like Andy and Paul say that the performance is there. I can I can see them kind of surging up. You know, maybe like Andy says to bottom half of the, well, top of the bottom half of the table. And big games coming up, Andy, and we won't go into them, um, but they're away at Livingston this weekend, which is, uh, I mean, Livingston have clearly from earlier in the season, they they are a team that have climbed the table, so it'd be, it'd, it'd be good to get a result on that one, but the one you really want to see them um, take the points from is away at St Johnston, the team, the only team below them in the table um, afterwards, I think that's that must be what, next Tuesday, next Wednesday? Next Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. But the the other thing I want to touch on as well, um, and I'm not, I suppose we've probably covered it in in dribs and drabs, but just generally on how how decent Regan Charles Cook, first of all, and um, Joseph Fungbo, who I know we've talked about before when he scored that absolute howitzer um, at Dundee, but how how dangerous they've become, and like especially against Dundee at the weekend, I thought um, both of them stood out a mile. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of I don't know Regan Charles Cook last season. I didn't really see this coming. I suppose. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Charles Cook made uh, nine starts last season and and didn't really ever force his way into the in, into the regular starting 11s of either Stuart Kettlewell or John Hughes. Um, and you know, having been brought in during the summer leading up to that, you know, I was quite I wouldn't say dismissive, but you know, still very skeptical about you know what what he was going to offer coming into this season under Malky Mackay. But from quite an early stage, he's been pinpointed as a, a really key player uh, in terms of how County looked to play. Um, you know, they, they break very rapidly. And I think Malky has touched on the efforts he's he's made to um, improve Charles Cook's fitness, uh, along with other players as well. Um, I'm not by any means singling out Regan Charles Cook on on that one, but um, he's also added that that kind of goal threat as well, which you know we we saw on Saturday against Dundee. Um, I think that's up to five for the season for for him now. So you know he he was absolutely outstanding in that Dundee game. Uh, he was a, a very deserving winning goal scorer, and 
you know, I get the feeling, you know, similar to the conversation you were having with with Paul um, on the Ryan Hedges situation. That you know, he's a he's a player that the longer he continues to catch the eye, you know, the Staggies might struggle to to hold on to. Um, Joseph Hungbo is obviously a, a different scenario given that he's come in on loan, but um, again. You know, relating to to the conversation you had at the the start of the podcast on Teddy Jenks, you know he's a a player that increasingly is making the most of that opportunity he's he's been given to to put himself. Um, it, I don't want to say in the shop window, but to 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 showcase what he can do um, in front of a uh, you know a big audience in, in Scottish football. Uh, I didn't by any means think he had his best game against Celtic last night, but. He's been, you know, increasingly a, a really pivotal player for for the Staggies, and the fact he came off quite early in the the game last night uh, would suggest that he's going to be at the the forefront of uh, Malky's thoughts going into the the Livingston game on on Saturday. He'll be quite fresh for for that one. The best um, compliment I can pay the two players. It's not actually me. It was Duncan Shearer. I spoke to Duncan on on Monday for his column for the Press and Journal and. He was saying he was at the game, watching it on on Saturday the the win against Dundee. I think John Robertson might have been doing the commentary for the radio, and uh, both of them were looking and joking with each other about what they would give to be, still be in their pomp on the pitch with those two out wide. This is they would have both have fancied themselves to get a couple of goals against Dundee, such was the quality of service that was coming into the box from the the wide areas. It's not bad going, really, is it, from uh, two strikers of that calibre from the, the 90s? They're so good, they would both be scoring now with those two players. <laughs> right, anyway, Inverness, let's move on. Andy, they they had exited the Cup, the Scottish Cup, at Morton in their replay, and there was a big stooshy, clearly, as we discussed last week, about the changing facilities that Inverness had to endure. Um, they... They play much improved Hamilton this weekend on the back of a return trip to Morton where they absolutely thumped the ton. Uh, it's probably as big a hammering as you'll see, yeah? Yeah, um, and any thoughts that we had last week that, you know, the, the comments after the match from Billy Dodds about the facilities could backfire on Inverness were uh, well and truly extinguished by... Uh, quite an early stage in this one, I think. Uh, I mean, Inverness were were three 0 up, uh, going or coming in towards the break. Morton got a penalty just beforehand to make it three one, but I think uh, by all accounts it could have could have been a uh, you know a, a harsher scoreline on on Morton by that point. And Inverness were just in in ruthless mood. Some of the, the finishing on on display was top drawer. Um, Reese McAleer's strike from from long range was the pick of the bunch, but I mean, I, I really like Billy Mackay's goal as well, and the fact that he's just consistently hitting the the goal trail now as well uh, is such a key asset for for Cali Thistle. Um, Shane Sutherland chipping in with with a couple too. It's yeah, no, every, everything uh, after a a difficult week when it comes to to the cup. Uh, ties anyway is uh, is starting to look really rosy for for the Cali Jags on a on a league front and you look at some of the the inconsistency of uh, Kilmarnock in particular um, you know around them they're um, you know they're in a very healthy position just now yeah obviously every smack layer I'd noted that one down, but yeah, as you say, Billy Mackay. I thought it was weird because on the highlights, Billy Mackay. Maybe I've been deceived all these years, but on the highlights, Billy Mackay looked like he was about six foot five, and I was like, "Oh, it's number number nine. That must be Billy Mackay. Why is he so tall?" But anyway, the the step over, the, not the step over, but the the way he shifted his weight to drag the ball past the last defender was like he sent that boy for his supper, and then it just oh, it was it was it was a great um great display of finishing from Inverness, although. The goal to put them 1-0 up, I would suggest, probably wasn't intentional, <laughs> given that it was quite clearly a cross that the keeper somehow let in. It is back post. Anyway, I think given we're now already at 35 minutes, having briefly talked about Inverness, we should move on to the lower leagues. Cove, Peterhead and Elgin next up. Okay, 
so where to begin here? Um, Falkirk nil, Cove three. I think. Um, have you have you seen the goals in this game? I have. Thirty. Have you seen the Morgan Neal's strike? <laughs> I, I know we're, we're talking about Reese McAleer's shot, and I know Jamie spoke to Harry Milne of Cove for a story. I think that's it's an exclusive for you. It's not actually out yet. It will be by the time this pod's edited, the way it's going. But um, at eleven forty-five this morning, that story is going up. So. Make sure you have a read of it. But Harry Milne says he was on the left-hand side of the back three for Cove and Morgan Neal was on the, the right-hand side and strode forward. And the whole way, Harry Milne was thinking, oh my God, he looks like he's away hit this year. What's he doing? Please don't. And then he, you know, I, 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 if you haven't seen the goals, I um, oh, insist you pick up, pick up the highlights, like cross goal right in the far corner. Just an absolute, again, howitzer of a shot. But yeah. I think in my notes I've written it was a strike all the way from hell for, for you <laughs> wrestling fans. But, um, I'm just laughing at how giddy you get, Ryan, when you start talking about spectacular goals. I just or yeah, players being I made just, to look like fools. Yeah, but I think uh, to be fair, the game did underline something that we've discussed. To be fair, Falkirk they had their chances, but it underlined a little bit what we we're saying last week about Cove now probably being favourites for the League One title. Queen's Park have fallen off a bit. I know Montrose are right up there next to Cove now, but Falkirk is like the full-time professional side, the, the big team in the league. Just, yeah, it all, I know I know they've just appointed a new manager, but it all appears to kind of be falling apart for Falkirk a little bit. Well, how, how bad are the Barons? I have to say that. They're all over the place. And Cove, Cove took full advantage with what was a confident win. 3-0 away from home. Falkirk, you'll take that any day of the week. Um, I did watch the highlights, and it is a fabulous goal. But what the, the highlights didn't show me was Shea Logan's red card. I've still got no idea what happened there. But, uh, well, that's a mystery for another day. But ov- overall, Cove have clicked into gear now, haven't they? Um, and you've mentioned Montrose and Queen's Park. They're playing each other this weekend. So it's a big chance for Paul Hartley's side when they um, have Alloa coming to town to really cement their places as league leaders and possibly increase that three-point lead at the top of the table. I mean, there, there is no better time, really, um, you know, to hit, hit form um, than this kind of Christmas period that comes into towards the final stretch of the campaign. Um, we, we spoke earlier in the season about, you know, how Cove were perhaps struggling to, to string that, that consistency together. But, um, you know, they've now got an opportunity really to, to build up a massive lead and, and put major pressure on the chasing pack um, and particularly Falkirk that we've we've touched on as well because, I mean, the expectation there is is massive. Uh, this is their third season in League One and they're sitting fifth with 12 points adrift of the, the top spot. So um, Cove will relish that and <laughs> look to... You, you know, just compound that that misery um, by consolidating and, and building on the the very healthy position that they've uh, established at, at this point. Yeah, I think they're on a, a ten game unbeaten run now. Cove, they're you know they've got a a winnable tie in the SPFL Trust Trophy semis. You know, still in the Scottish Cup and they're closing league games of um, twenty twenty one. Alloa, as you said, Paul, but then East Fife as well, who are right down at the bottom. So, I mean, it looks like that could be a hopefully a 12-game unbeaten run, hopefully a couple more wins for them. But yeah, Falkirk, as as we as we mentioned, I thought the goal that was pretty telling for Falkirk was the Rony McAllister one, where they just left a, a striker who has scored, let's remember, at that venue previously when playing for Peterhead, has scored five goals in a game, and they left him standing on the six-yard line, all on his own, for the ball to just be like dinked over the top to him to finish from close range. Yeah, not great. Um, anyway, Peterhead won East Fife. Won. I think this game, the issue was that Peterhead conceded, um, having you know had the best of the play. They, they then went at one one nil down. Josh Mulligan salvaged a point for them, but. I think Jim McAnally said afterwards it was a game that for Peterhead, most importantly, given the run they've been on, they've been sort of like picking up points, you know, they've been keeping up a steady stream of points, that they didn't lose it because, you know, because of the way the game unfolded, it would have been a bit of a psychological blow. If they had lost it, they've they've got out 
he said of a of a losing habit, and it's like important that while they're trying to find a winning habit, they don't get back into a losing habit. And there are no bad points, Paul, in no. League One, are there? We, we started this uh, episode this week talking about Stephen Glass's team grinding out a result. Uh, Peterhead would like to have won, of course they would, but they are the masters when it comes to grinding out a point here, a point there, and they all add up by the end of the season. Um, Yes, yes. The, the, at home against East Fife, the way East Fife are going at the minute, the Blue Toon will be disappointed not to take all three points. But importantly, as I said, the most important thing is not losing the game. And that now sets them up for another big one at Dumbarton. This weekend, uh, eighth against ninth, there's only a point in it. So a win for Peterhead uh, at the Rock would really push push them up a bit in the table and open up a little bit of a gap from that, that playoff spot. And every point is going to be absolutely vital for Jim McAnally's side over this festive period. I think they've got Montrose in midweek, so it's the ante is increasing, I think, as we're, as we're going through the games now. I'm talking absolute rubbish, by the way. It wasn't Josh Mulligan that scored, it was Ryan Duncan. It's just come to me now, like, out of the blue. It was uh, the Aberdeen Loney who I think it was his first senior goal, so well done, Ryan Duncan. But they'll be desperate to keep him as well. I think he really impressed. He's a left-footed player, and Jim McAnally's been pretty pleased to, with the, the set-piece contribution he's been able to offer as well, although he's not been able to play much because of injury in the first half of the season. But yeah, end of this weekend, Peterhead with a win. They could be four points clear of Dumbarton, which gives them a bit of a cushion, but at the same time, they'll also be nine points above the East Fife in that um, you know, in that automatic relegation spot. And then g- given they've got Montrose um, in the last match day of 2021, which in Montrose are flying, you'd think, although there are no easy games for any team in <laughs> League One, you know, you you'd think that that cushion will be sort of a real boon for Peterhead because it'll mean that, you know, they can't slip into one of those uh, ninth or 10th positions by by the new year and it gives them something to build on, or a better position to build on going forward. Elgin, though, Andy, every time we speak about Elgin, it's the same, the same misery at the moment. It feels like they scored a very strange goal to go 1-0 up down at Annan. At the weekend, I don't know what happened. It seemed to be a sort of delivery that just sort of fooled everyone and made it all the way through from the highlights I saw. Um, although I was distracted by an increasingly um, the commentator, yeah, ex- exorbitant, <laughs> word. yeah, exuberant, um, exuberant, uh, a homer. That's what he was. Yeah, he was a homer. Um, but yeah, they, they just seemed to collapse a little bit in the game. Yeah, um, I, I mean, thirty and I joked a couple of weeks ago that we kind of have been finishing the podcast as we were starting it earlier in the, the season when it came to Aberdeen and, and County uh, maybe not getting what they, they feel like they've deserved from games and, and failing to convert you know loads of possession and goal-scoring opportunities into into points. Uh, Aberdeen and County seem to have bucked that trend and, and Elgin are still kind of uh, trying to find the answers. Um I mean, could you accuse Elgin of having loads of possession and opportunities? Well, certainly, from Gavin, uh, Price, yeah, from so. Gavin Price was was adamant that the you know the first half was um, was one that Elgin should have capitalised on, especially after going ahead, um, regardless of the means by which they did so. Um, it was definitely a position that that gave them a, a huge opportunity, a ground that they've they've done particularly well at in, in recent times, um, but there there does appear to be a a bit of a, a soft centre there when uh, you know when they suffer adversity in a, a game and for them to to lose four one for it to unravel in the way it did is uh, you know highly concerning um, for uh, for the black and whites. Yeah, and hosting Steny on Saturday, and then they've got a they close out um, the pre Christmas period with a a trip to Sterling, I think. On yeah. Tuesday, so yeah. This, again, as we've said all season with Elgin, it's like just you know just string some results together for God's sake, and that's all we want for Christmas from Elgin. Um, but yeah, they're not not in a great position at the moment, down near the bottom of League Two, and you know Cowdenbeath only four points behind. It's not, you know, they're not out the woods in terms of, you know, it, it still looks like they could possibly get you know drawn into that um, playoff 
with the Highland League and Lowland League come the end of the season if they don't sort themselves out. Let's move on though, finally today, because Sophie is with us and I feel that given they have now played their final game of 2021 before their break, that we should discuss Aberdeen women and how they've got on in the first half of the season, their first half of the season in review. Sophie, Emma Hunter, Emma Hunter, you know, if they beat teams they should be beaten, she she seems content with that, but not um, ecstatic. Um, and, you know, there are other teams in the division she, you know, doesn't feel like um, it's really their place to be, I suppose, because they're full-time um, professional outfits. So how how do you review the, the first half of Aberdeen women's season, given they closed out with that win over Hamilton at the weekend? I think the win at Hamilton was so important. And I think, like what Emma said when I spoke to her the other day, she you know, she wasn't overly buzzing because that's what she expects. Like you've just said, she expects her side to beat the teams that are in and about them. So the likes of Hamilton, Partick, Motherwell. But then also they've slipped up the season in those games. They've had defeats at Hearts, uh, at home to Hearts, and then a defeat to Motherwell. So that win against Hamilton was so important because going into it, they were second bottom of the table. A defeat would have meant the bottom going into the new year. Whereas this three points has boosted them up, boosted them up to fifth behind the four professional sides. So I think if you know if you'd said to Gavin and Emma at the start of the season, by by the Christmas break you'll be fifth. I think we'll have been happy with that points wise, but you know, we've said this before that SWPL one is, is such a weird league, it's such a set weird setup that outside the top four that league standing can constantly change. So although they're fifth now, you know, come February time it might be the case again that they're down second bottom because we spoke about this before again that they have the consecutive run against the top side so because the fixture layout is just the same it's repetitive they'll play Rangers, Glasgow City and Hibs consecutively so that's nine points probably that I can't see them picking up much points from if any so it's a real kind of the season's ever changing in terms of points and league standing but I think for what they've done you know, they're a young side. They've really struggled with injury. You know, Kelly Forrest, their captain, their most experienced player in the squad, only came back against Celtic, which was two games ago. That was her first start of the season. And the same with Bailey Hutchison. She only came back against Glasgow City, uh, which was played at the Glebe, and she played 45 minutes. But even in that 45 minutes, she, no, sorry, she didn't play 45 minutes then. She played 45 minutes in the cup against Hibs. But she just gives them so much more going forward, she's their outlet going forward and that's what you've seen against Hamilton. She scored two goals, probably could have got three or four and you know that was her fourth goal of the season, only playing four or five games. So I think if they can keep that squad fit going forward into the season, there's no reason why, you know, they'll be dragged into kind of rele- relegation scrap come the you know the, the end of the season. But what they've done so far, I think considering everything, you know, injuries know stop start postponements because of covid internationals the weather that you know they've, they've been on a decent run in terms of you were obviously writing about Bailey Hutchison um earlier this week as well she was the difference for Aberdeen at the weekend but is is Bailey the the player we perhaps more than any other player in the squad think probably has a, a future at a higher level of the game I mean Aberdeen might in the future become you know a full-time professional outfit but are we are we expecting that the the teams like Glasgow City, Hibs, Rangers, Celtic are maybe looking at Bailey Hutchison as being you know an enticing prospect for them? I think so. I think she's the the obvious player. I think you know as a striker, if you come on and you're getting like she's done already, you say you know a stat like four goals in three consecutive games looks good. That of course she's going to attract attention to the clubs like that. But I don't think she's the only one. I think you know that team is a young player, there's probably three or four of them that could end up, you know, in years to come, play at a higher level with the likes of Hibs. Um, but yeah, I think with Bailey, there there probably would be an opportunity for her sooner rather than later to move on. But, you know, what Emma was saying in the week is that she thinks that she needs the time to develop because she is, you know, she's a young player and she's proven already that she's good enough, but she does need that more experience. And I think the risk for Bailey would be to go to the likes of Glasgow City Rangers, who, you know, they're the best in the country. 
I think she'd go there and she wouldn't get the game time. I think she'd be put into their under 21s or whatever. And she wouldn't get the same development that she does at Aberdeen. Because even though she's at Aberdeen, she's still scoring goals against these top sides. And, you know, fair enough, they might not pick up the points, but she's getting that experience against the professional players, which I think she might not get if she was to move on so early. So I think, yeah, it's a decision that, you know, Bailey's going to have to make in the future because I do think it'll come her way. You know, she's only 18 inches capped for the under-19s and, you know, she's been spoken about on sports scenes, spoken about by other coaches, um, that she is Aberdeen's biggest threat. But I think even, like, you know, in the men's game, there is a risk if you, you make that decision to go to a bigger club early in your career that, that it could backfire. I mean, we were talking about her glass ceiling here a little bit as being going to, like, Glasgow City or Rangers or something, but do you think she's maybe got potential to play at an even higher level than that? Are are, are, are there players at Aberdeen women, given, given they're so young, a lot of them, you know, Bailey Hutchinson, you know, their standard player, just 18. Do you think there's a, do you think there's potential like these players could in the future go to FAWSL teams, teams abroad? What, 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 how good do you think they are? I think, yeah, no, totally. I think, I think that opportunity is there. You know, I think you look at the likes of Kim Little and, and Rachel Corsi and, you know, they've done it and they probably at a point where they were the same age as Bailey, like Sajana Penman, Eva Thompson, Kim and Rachel probably didn't have the same opportunities that you know that the the young players have now. So to be playing an SWPL one at 18, 17 years old is such a good opportunity and it's the best place for them to develop. So I think, yeah, if they get a couple of years here under their belt, then maybe make a move to like the Glasgow City. I think, yeah, there there is no reason why they couldn't go down south and you know, maybe start off with a I don't know, with a Bristol with a Birmingham or something like that that's you know you're not going to go straight into the big boys and play with Arsenal Chelsea but yeah I think the opportunity is there because they've had this experience so young they've been developed at a good club like Aberdeen you know Bailey you know has been there for however long Eva's been there for a couple of years and, and came up through the ranks at only 15 she was playing in the first team so I think yeah there is there is an opportunity for them to go down south because of what they've been through with Aberdeen and because they have got this kind of experience against you know, Scotland internationals, they're coming up against the likes of Nicola Doherty, Sam Kerr, you know, week in, week out. So they'll have they'll have better experience than at, at a young age than our kind of Scotland internationals like Rachel has um, had at 19. So I think, yeah, the future is definitely bright for the likes of Bailey and, and the rest of Aberdeen's young players. Okay, well, we will leave this week's episode of Northern Goal there. Thank you to Paul, Sophie and Andy for joining me this week. Cheers, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think that was all three sounding off there. Um, if you have enjoyed this week's episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can um, email any questions or queries to northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Um, feel free to email any sort of virtual Christmas cards there for the guys as well. Um, I'll accept them all as my own. Uh, but yes, Another big few days of football to come and enjoy the football, whichever games you're watching in this coming week. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.